Kieran Howells here, your podcast host for today. And today we are digging into what makes a toxic workplace culture. We've seen some really big cases hit the headlines recently, uh, including the fire service was a huge one that came up recently. So we're going to analyse some of that and hopefully come away with some learnings and some resolutions for HR. And I have a fantastic guest to join me in doing that. His name is Dr. Jonathan Lord. He's a senior lecturer at Salford University and a true expert in all things HR. So let's dive into the conversation. My name is Dr. Jonathan Lord. I'm a senior lecturer in human resource management at Salford Business School. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being with me today. So we talked about some research previously that's found that the fire service in England is institutionally misogynistic and racist. How was this internal toxic culture discovered? It, it, it came after a couple of reviews, actually. Um, there was one in 2019 by Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Services. And that report found there was a toxic culture. They called it actually a pack-like culture mm. in, in that report. But in 2020, a firefighter called Jaden, he took his own life. And that really instigated a, a broader independent review. It wasn't the only reason why the review took place. But I think it was a catalyst to say something needs to be looked at now. There, there are serious issues within the fire service. And the family of the firefighter really pressurised the government to do this. So it came from a couple of reviews, but then I think the catalyst came from this unfortunate incident um, with the firefighter. And it, it led to an independent review, and they had a really good remit, really, to, to find out exactly what was going on within the fire service. They had about seven or eight different areas to investigate. They aligned it with the, um, with the Equality Act, so they looked at the protected characteristics under the Equality Act as well. So it was a really thorough piece of research uh, and investigation, really. And it allowed people a safe place to say what was really happening. And because of that, some really horrific things have been found out in terms of the toxic workplace has, has been um, revealed. And it, it's led to a lot of publicity, but quite rightly so. You know, it's an important service um, that they do provide. But they are very, very serious issues that's been unearthed. And so let me ask you this then, Jonathan. How does this happen? How, I mean, what do you think transforms a culture into a toxic workplace like this? In in this case, I think it's it's history and nature of the job. It, it's too too broad to say how does a toxic culture happen in every single workplace. And I think it happens dependent upon the nature of that organisation. You know, so if it's a family-run organisation, there'll be reasons why a toxic culture could be prevalent in that environment or in a local authority. But because of the fire service, I think it's the history and nature of the job. You've got a history of, of purely men working within that organisation. Um, and this report quite clearly stated that that was an issue. And so so for, you know, for a long time, it's had one really demographic of worker in the organisation. And that really has, has allowed a toxic culture to prevail. And the actual nature of the job as well, 
you know, the, the majority of these workers are safety critical workers and their their lives are at risk of doing their day-to-day job. And if something isn't right, they have to rectify it because it, it could effectively injure them. It could, you know, it could actually kill them if things aren't right. So I think people behave in a certain way because of the nature of the job. Rather than politely ask somebody to do something, a manager may do it in a different way within the fire service by saying, you have to do this, go and do it. You know, there's no real pleasantry sometimes within some organizations because of the nature of the job. So it was really kind of a a, a perfect storm, really, of of, of the history of, of the organization having predominantly men. And the report suggests white men as well was an issue. You know, there wasn't very a, a big um, diverse group of people working in the organization. And that definitely leads to a toxic work culture when it is trying to diversify when you have got people um, from different demographics coming into the organization as well. The, the historic custodians of the job are trying to protect maybe what they're doing and are not used to other people coming into the organization. And this has all come, and come out of the of the report. So I think it's the it's the the history of the organization and it's the nature of the job that allows um, this kind of toxic culture to prevail. But we're having this conversation, obviously, at a really interesting time because cases like this seem to be cropping up more and more or or at least gaining the attention of the kind of the mainstream press more and more. Would you say that issues of toxic culture, of, um, you know, harassment in the workplace, do you think they're becoming kind of far more prolific beyond this particular field? I think they're just being exposed more. It, it's hard to say um, that it, it hasn't it hasn't existed or it did exist. I think it's just becoming more exposed. So, and that's a good thing. And I think it's become more ex- more exposed because of legislation. I've mentioned the Equality Act and other areas of law now are really forcing employers to to not only act upon discrimination and, and toxic work cultures. But actually prevent them as well. So I think it, it's something down, something down to the legislation. I think I think it's down to people being more confident in the workplace as well. What we found in research is that the the, the newer generation of workers are not actually conforming within the workplace as much as previous generations have done. You know, previously it was a lot of command and control. You know, you did what your manager said. But the new generation aren't like that. It's quite clear with the Great Resignation that people will move from job to job and, and they will not put up with things now that they used to do previously. And especially with, with this fire service inspector inspection, um, female workers are not putting up with things that were, that they used to put up with as well. They're, they're feeling more confident um, than they used to be. There's still an issue there um, around harassment. But I think just generally people, are, people feel more confident in raising things and people are allowed now to, to express things that they're not happy with. And there is more of a culture of whistleblowing than there used to be. But it's still an issue. It, you know, it's not something which which will be eradicated quickly. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's more likely to be exposed than it was previously. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting, isn't it, that, that workers and especially younger generations are, are kind of leading the charge in, in, um, in denouncing the actions that previously have kind of gone swept under the rug potentially and I I guess that 
that means that probably a lot of organizations know now or are starting to become aware because of these things that their workplaces are potentially you know a very unhealthy environment for certain demographics so what do you think are the challenges in identifying a toxic culture what are what are the key hills that we have to overcome here this famous phrase you've probably heard about it and it's about culture eating strategy for breakfast and i'm a big believer in that you can have as, as many strategies as you want but culture dictates everything in terms of the organization performing well and that comes from top down you know the, and again this was highlighted in the um in the fire service report that the senior leadership has to dictate the culture in the organization it has to promote a positive engaging safe culture within the organization and if it doesn't, it can then permeate into a very, very um, toxic environment. And the things to look out for are things like the hustle culture, which has become a lot more of, a, of an area of investigation recently, where people are working longer hours and doing and expected to do overtime. And there is that nature of the job that they would get the job done, no matter how stressful it is on the individual and how much time it takes. So if an organization has a hustle culture, that's a predictor of um, a toxic work environment. If it's got a blame culture and every worker for themselves as well, that's another indicator of a toxic work environment. And you've got the traditional areas that you need to look at as well, things like cliques and, and the culture of gossip, bad communication, uh, mistrust of leadership between co-workers is another indicator as well. Uh, lack of empathy from leaders. Um, high labour turnover, you know, HR professionals have, have, have been told to look out for um, employee turnover because that's a really big indicator of an unhappy workplace. If your employee turnover, so the number of people who leave the organisation, is is relatively high in comparison to other organisations in your industry, it's quite clear people aren't happy with your workplace. And things like poor work-life balance, um, and unequal treatment of or enforcement of policies is another one as well. That's another indicator of a toxic work environment. People are treated differently because of maybe who they are. And all these things are, are issues that senior leaders need to look out for because they can be the predictors of toxic work environments. You shouldn't have to wait for an independent review arranged by the government to find out whether you have a toxic work environment you know, it can be done very, very easily, I believe, through the help of HR, through trade unions, through employee engagement groups. You know, there are lots of ways you can root out toxic cultures. And I don't think organisations focus on it too much until it's too late anyway. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that kind of occurs to me, especially talking about the issue that we're discussing with the fire service, is that obviously things had got to such a a literally dangerous place within the culture here and i guess for a lot of organizations it's not going to be that dramatic you know there there are there are small early stage calling cards of of poor culture and sexism racism and that kind of thing so do do you think that it's kind of that you know the the early warning signs are smaller more subtle you know, a comment here or there, and then that being almost excused or not dealt with properly in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. It's things that are 
And, you know, you can understand it sometimes where people are too scared to raise it or actually deal with it, whether you're a manager or whether you're an employee. I think, you know, in organizations, there's always been that um, resistance to to putting your head above the parapet and saying, well, actually, this isn't right. And because they know the consequences, you know, toxic work environments um, are allowed because of people being, of bad behavior being allowed. So it's sometimes understandable, not justified, but understandable why people don't uh, raise it or deal with it. But so it's down to the organization to have a zero tolerance on, on these things. And you've got the workers, um, the workers' protection bill, which is going through Parliament at the moment. That's trying to reintroduce um, zero tolerance on harassment. So previously, under the Equality Act, it was kind of the three strikes rule. So it could it could happen twice. So someone could be harassed twice, and on a third occasion, you could then raise it as an issue. I mean, that's you know, it, it, you, when you listen to that, it's ridiculous. You know, you have to be harassed three times before you can actually deal with it. But the workers' protection bill, if it does get through um, over the next couple of months, that will happen um, from the very first incident of harassment. And that, that you know, that brings up problems for organisations. You know, how do you legislate and how do you protect workers and how do you stop people who are not only employees, but third-party contractors as well? How do you stop that? You know, it, it's sometimes an impossible task. So you have to really monitor those, what you suggested, are the really subtle um, points around a toxic work culture and and I think HR should be at the forefront of that you know HR professionals are, uh, are trained up um, in emotional intelligence and in, in, in the day-to-day operations of an organization and they should watch what happens and they should be at the forefront of, of preventing and not just stopping a toxic work culture happening. Yeah and and you know, we've talked about, well, you mentioned a little bit there that, that, you know, zero tolerance is incredibly important. And you said raising your head above the parapet is is incredibly hard and it takes some confidence and uh, it takes some belief that your organization is going to do something about it. And I guess if you do that one time and you're you're just ignored, you're, you're probably very unlikely to do it again, right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yes. For people to to raise it, they have to find a trusted source to go and speak to, and the organisation should enable that trusted source. You know, whether it's HR, whether it's somebody who who listens to whistleblowing comments or having a whistleblowing process that they know they can trust as well. But they, they need to have that trusted source, and and they need to they need to be able to say yes, this did happen, and and quite frankly, I think the only thing. Sometimes that will help is having evidence. You know, some of the things that came out in the report were horrific. And I think when people mentioned them in the report, there was no evidence of, of, the, of the treatment that they've received because sometimes it's impossible to get that evidence. But to be honest with you, working in HR like I have done, a lot of it does rely on evidence, unfortunately. And that's what you would encourage people to do is to get the evidence of this bad behavior because as soon as somebody sees the bad behaviour, they stop it, funnily enough, because they don't like being to be known as someone who is toxic and they're embarrassed by it. And sometimes they might not realise that they, that they are behaving like that. So it's finding a trusted source, a trusted person who someone can talk to and go to, but try and get some kind of audit trail of evidence if possible as well to back up what you're saying, because that will definitely enable the organisation to deal with it. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, as the old adage goes, prevention is much better than cure. So what should you do if you are a HR practitioner and you start to see the the calling cards of a toxic uh, you know, culture within your workplace? Where do you go from there? I would I would personally start off by finding out what the problems are and going to speak to somebody. It depends on on kind of what level of HR you are, whether you have a manager or not. But I would I would collate as much information as possible, ha- have that evidence, even if it's not actual um, documented evidence, but what you've witnessed and what you see. Have that information. Have as much information as possible, and go and speak to somebody and say this is happening and you know that this is the start or the continuation of a toxic work culture and go with solutions as well you know don't just say this is the problem go with solutions hr professionals again have access to information and are trained up in, the, in this type of thing to actually think about what the issues are and why it is class as being toxic and how to eradicate it as well and i've mentioned things around how to find out whether a workplace is toxic or not once you know what the problems are, you can then deal with it. So I think the first step is to find out exactly what the problem is. You know what's happening in terms of a toxic work culture. You know, this fire service inspection has detailed quite clearly what the problems are. But going to why are those problems there? Is it just because of the uh, because of the one-dimensional workforce? Is it because of the history of the organization? Is it because of the fear of whistleblowing? So really pinpoint what the problems are. But on a, from a HR perspective, it's monitoring the organisation on a day-to-day basis that I think that's you know a really key aspect of of a HR professional's job is to monitor the organisation. You know, it's not a sinister thing; it's just making sure the organisation is is run well. And if and if you stop it manifesting into a bigger problem, you can resolve it at an earlier stage. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about making sure that you have that paper trail which is obviously extremely important from a legal um, perspective, because obviously as an organization rooting out toxic culture, probably at some point down the line is going to be um, if, if, if it's gone beyond a certain point, uh, a mediation process or something like that. So what are the other important things to be cognizant of from a legal standpoint as a HR uh, practitioner when you're kind of trying to rid your company of that you know of these individuals who perhaps are the cause of the toxic culture the one thing that you've got to bear in mind with this type of thing and it's been you know it's been in the press since this um, inspection report was released around the word banter now the problem with hr has, has always had and always will have is you know, they're seen as the kind of the call, you know, called the HR police and this type of thing, because they've got to deal with issues in the workplace. But sometimes you have to have a workplace where people get on and they do, you know, they do have that banter. And there is something under the Workers' Protection Bill which conforms with the EHRC, which allows people freedom of expression. So you, so you, an organisation has to ensure that this is legally that. Whatever you have in place, it doesn't um, suppress people's freedom of expression. So when you're trying to deal with a toxic work culture, although you're trying to deal with the issue, that's fine. But you've got to make sure it doesn't go too far and encroach on people's freedom of expression. You know, people coming into the workplace and having a laugh and having a joke and having a conversation about something. 
And as long as it's not directed personally at somebody, employees should be allowed to do that. And I think it's, we come back to your question, it's about communication. What is acceptable and what isn't? And it's down to the HR department or professionals to really um, communicate that. What is acceptable and what isn't? And if you feel it isn't acceptable, what they can do about it as well and what will happen to those people that that aren't behaving in the right way. So communication around acceptability should be there, um, but also what to do if you don't think it's acceptable as well. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So my my final question for you then, and it kind of harks back to what we were discussing at the beginning of our conversation. Obviously, we are living in a world now where um, it seems inevitable that toxic culture will be rooted out, or or at least we're seeing the the proliferation of people feeling uh, empowered to do something about it. So, do you think that it is kind of inevitable that as we move forward? we'll be seeing less and less toxic cultures out there? Or is this something that's just kind of an infinitely perpetuated problem that, you know, we'll always need stamping out when it arises? I, I would hope it, it would it would dwindle, but I think that would it would only dwindle if organisations continually monitored it. You know, I mentioned at the very start that um, the fire service, the, the instigation of the, of the recent report was because a fire um, fighter their own life you know that should never have happened for it to instigate a full review or an independent review anyway so it's down to the organization to monitor it on a regular basis and you know all the research that's coming out now clearly links a toxic work culture to staff leaving the organization the mit in america the massachusetts institute of technology have said that um a person is more likely is 10 point 10 times more likely to leave the job because of a toxic work culture. So there's a there's a clear incentive for organizations to prevent and stop toxic work cultures because it does impact on performance, it does impact on um, employees staying within the organization. But it can it can only be stopped if it's monitored and dealt with on a regular basis. You see more cultural champions now within organizations, especially in public sector organizations like the NHS and local authorities, you have dedicated roles to um, encouraging a positive environment, a positive workplace, and and that day-to-day commitment to ensuring that the workplace is safe and it's a good working environment is, is, is monitored and encouraged, but it has to be done regularly. You can't just leave it every couple of years and do a review, otherwise you will see more and more of these reports coming out. So it's very much a case of, yes, there is some hope in the future. We're in a world where this is a lot more acceptable to, uh, you know, to, to bring up. It's a lot more acceptable to kind of challenge your organisation. But it's it's always something that needs to be at the forefront of uh, particularly HR's mind, I guess. Yeah, you, you can't you can't remain complacent with this thing. I mentioned the new generation of workers. They they do have that conviction about um, about raising issues and not putting up with things. But the but what might happen if you do get complacent is that they do normalise behaviour that's ingrained in an organisation because that's what's happened previously. I don't believe for one minute firefighters go into the fire service and behave like they 
apparently do so in the report. I think they go into the organisation and that organisation effectively encourages and breeds that toxic culture. So you need to um, continue the positive culture that people have when they first get into an organisation. Try and encourage that and try and help that culture to remain. Otherwise, it will regress and go back to a culture with it, which isn't positive but is toxic. So it's making sure you don't get complacent. That's another role for HR. Don't allow complacency to seep in. Well, I think that's a very poignant point to end on. So thank you so much, Jonathan. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, that was truly fascinating. Such a fantastic conversation. I want to say a huge thank you to Dr. Jonathan Lord for joining me today. We will, of course, be back next week with another edition of the HR Grapevine podcast. So I look forward to seeing you then. 